quickly learned that okay, I can't I can't make sense of all of this, but I, I can be led by the Holy Spirit. And so rather than, than just always looking and always trying to figure out everything, I would wait for that gentle tug of his still small voice to lead me to focus on this person or focus on that situation. And I found that when I would do that, he would lead me to layer after layer of understanding what I was seeing, what it was there for. This is the Charisma Connection. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. Do I have a surprise for you today? I'll tell you, this is one of the best books I've read on the spiritual move of God, probably in my life. I've read a lot of really good books. This one had one of those things where it just reach out and it grabs you by the throat and you don't let go. I hate to say these kinds of words about it. You know, it's a page turner. Uh, that's what like a lot of reviewers say about books. I just love this book because it uh, it sets a goal for me to learn to see the way that Blake Healy sees. He's the author. He's a man of God, and if you have any doubt to that, you'll know it when you read this. I'm going to read a little bit off the back of his book before I introduce him to you. For as long as he can remember, Blake Healy has seen angels and demons. He sees them as clearly as he would see you if you were standing right in front of him. He sees angels dancing in worship services and whispering words of encouragement in people's ears. He also sees demons latching onto people and perpetuating addiction and bitterness in their hearts. The veil chronicles how Blake matured in this gifting while overcoming the fear and confusion of what he saw, how he learned to use his gift of seeing for God's glory, and how to teach others to do the same thing. And that's what excited me. I wanted to learn how to do the same thing because I want to see in the Spirit. So I hope you welcome to our, the podcast studio by way of the telephone direct from Atlanta, Blake Healy, the author of The Veil. Welcome, Blake. Uh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, we sure are, too. So uh, talk to me about the first time you started seeing these things. How? Uh, what did you see? How, what's your recall on how you began to see in the Spirit? Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I've i seen in the Spirit as far back as I can remember. In fact, my, my first memory is seeing an angel. I remember I was... Um, I was two years old, and I was sitting in the back seat of my parents' minivan. We were at the drive-through window at the bank, and my mom was just chatting with the uh, the bank teller there, and she was playing some worship music. And I remember just hearing these um, as I was listening to the music, seeing uh, about a half dozen of these baseball-sized lights just uh, swaying back and forth in time with the music. And so I, I'd seen these things for you know again my whole life, as far as I can remember. But when I was Younger, we weren't really, you know, going to a church that had a grid for this sort of thing. So <laughs> I, I saw this stuff, but I didn't necessarily um, knew. I, I didn't know exactly what I was seeing, or that it was out of the ordinary. I guess. Well, that is out of the ordinary, and I think uh, <laughs> you probably make people uncomfortable about it, even in a in a spirit filled church. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's something that it was new for a lot of people. Yeah. So how did pastors deal with you? How were you taught at that age to cope with this great gift? So it was interesting. So from to kind of draw a bit of an outline for you, from, from the age of zero to 12, I, I didn't know that what I was seeing was out of the ordinary. And so when I would mention stuff that I was seeing to my parents, you know, like, I think they kind of blew it off as, you know, kids just being funny or imaginative and things like that. And, you know, I thought they were just as uninterested when I would see you know, uh, 
people dressed in gold, anointing people with oil as they were, you know, un- uninterested when I point to an airplane or a train or something else I'd be interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the longest time, it just, you know, was this almost like mutual ignorance. Um, it wasn't until I was 12 years old, we started going to a church that was a lot more active about training people in the gifts of the Spirit, the prophecy, uh, going after supernatural healing, things of that nature. But I finally got a grid for what I was experiencing. Of course, by that time, I was you know, starting to notice that I was experiencing stuff that other folks weren't, but I didn't really understand it yet. And so, um, you know, when I finally, you know, hearing about the prophetic mainly, really, it wasn't the same thing, obviously, but it was close enough that it gave me just enough of a context to hang my experiences on. And so at that point, I shared with my parents everything that was going on, and I was able to share with the pastors there. And, you know, honestly, at that church, they were really sweet with me. You know, they um, they just kind of, they, they themselves didn't have that exact same gift, but they had heard of other people having similar experiences. And so they, um, they just really, you know, encouraged me to continue to be involved with the prophetic ministry there, to train up and being able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and um, just get uh, spiritual mothers and fathers around me to help me grow in that. So how's this gift affected the way you live your life? What's it done for your daily living? Yeah, you know, it's it's done a lot of things from the from the big to the small. You know, I, I at first, you know, for the longest time, I was trying to figure out, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? And you know, I'd experiment and you know make a lot of mistakes. I, uh, you know, I thought, oh, if I see a demon on a person, that means I should go up and tell them. And hmm. so I would go up and tell people and they would usually freak out and get really scared or feel really hurt or get mad at me or something like that. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like the kind of fruit that I'd want from, from something like this. And, you know, and then I would share the things that I would see that were more angelic and it would bless people and encourage them. But oftentimes they'd have a whole lot of questions about, well, what does that mean? Or what does this mean? And, well, why is the angel doing this or wearing that? And, you know, oftentimes I only just barely understood a little bit about the things that I saw, at least at the beginning. And so, again, for the longest time, I was trying to figure out how do I use this? How do I use it, use this? But over the years, again, especially from 12 years old, when I learned that what I had was a gift and further down the line up until about 20 years old, I was trying to use this, trying to use this until finally I just came to the realization that even though... There was a lot of uses for this gift as far as encouraging people, as far as um, revealing divine strategies about how to how to pray or how to go after what, what God's will is. I found that the, the main purpose for this gift was that God didn't want me to necessarily do something with every single thing that I saw, but he did want me to see all the things that I did so that I could understand how he works wow. more, how he thinks. Did you keep a yeah, journal you, you, through this time? Did you write down what you were seeing? I wrote down a lot of it. You know, it, it was hard because, you know, and it, it's one of the things that helped me understand that it, I didn't have, I wasn't responsible for every single thing that I saw, just because I, there was so much of it. You know, oh. I could walk into your a- average church service, and every single person has a personal angel that's with them. There's angels that are dancing around in worship. There's angels that are doing stuff that has to do with what the, you know, the anointing of that particular church carries. And, you know, there's so much going on at any one 
time, if I was trying to catalog every single bit of it, I, you know, I would fill up a hundred journals. And so rather than trying to, at first I did try to chronicle everything. I tried to jot everything down, even like drew a few little sketches and things like that. I'm a, a terrible artist, but I did my best. Um, and, uh, but I quickly learned that, okay, I can't, I can't make sense of all of this, but I, I can be led by the Holy Spirit. And so rather than, than just always looking and always trying to figure out everything, I would wait for that gentle tug of his still small voice to lead me to focus on this person or focus on that situation. And I found that when I would do that, he would lead me to layer after layer of understanding what I was seeing, what it was there for. So seeing these visions or this presence of angels or demonic really is a form of prophetic. It's almost a word of knowledge, only it's seeing what's in front of you. Is that how? I could, yeah, I could see it applied in that way in many ways. It's, you know, it's, I, in fact, oftentimes when I train people in this gift, you know, if they're not seeing the Spirit right away, I tell them, you know, even if you're not seeing it right now, the Holy Spirit can tell you what's in the room right now. And he may show you with a picture in your mind's eye, like he so often does in the prophetic ministry, or he might give you a scripture, or he might just speak with a still small voice into your heart. You know, mm-hmm. either way, you're getting information. He's talking to you about what's going on. You know, you're, you're discerning what's happening in the room at that moment. So, would you see an angel? Now, we've all seen cartoon character drawings of angels. We've got movies that have helped us out quite a bit to know what an angel looks like. What have you seen in the spirit? What do they look like? So there's a really wide variety of what they look like. In fact, they're they're so diverse. I would I'd be hard pressed to nail it down to one specific thing. But okay. I I have noticed that depending on what their role is, there there are some kind of basic you know understandings. Like oftentimes when I see protection angels, you know they often look very stern, very serious, very stoic. Um, oftentimes wearing armor or things of that nature. Um, and they look tall. Those ones look more or less like people, you know. Um, now, worship angels, for example, they can be sometimes very abstract. You know, sometimes it may look like a person wearing a white robe and, you know, carrying a golden instrument of some kind. And other times it might look like they're made out of kind of a multicolored fire and just dancing and spinning around in worship. Um, and so there really is a wide variety. I, I would say as a general rule, most of the time when I see angels, I would, you know, I'd say about 85, maybe even 90% do basically look like a person, you know, as far as, you know, mm-hmm. eyes, ears, mouth, nose, you know, things like that. They have a form. Um, they do. They do. They have a form. Again, kind of how I mentioned about that first memory of seeing an angel. I've seen ones that do look more abstract like that. You know, those ones just look like these balls of light. And I've seen others where, you know, they do just look like uh, something that's more abstract. It's amazing. So let's ask uh, about the other guys, the de- the demonic look. Uh, I imagine they have a a variety as well. Certainly, and you know, I, I think the same is true with the angelic as it is with the demonic in the sense that they they tend to look like what they are. You know, so, they're fallen, so they look different. Certainly, certainly, and so like a, since a protection angel is you know looking strong, they have armor. They look like they're there to protect you. A, demo- a demon oftentimes look like what they're trying to what they're trying to bring to an environment or to mm-hmm. a person, and so, like if I see a demon of fear, oftentimes it you know is 
small and skinny and thin and jittery and, you know, a little bit gremlin looking maybe, um, you know, has, is shaky, has real big eyes, you know, kind of would look like that. Um, you know, a, a demon that was more trying to influence someone with something like pride, you know, might look very, uh, very tall and, uh, um, imperious kind of, kind of looking, um, I would say that most of the time, and this is something that tends to surprise people, is that most of the demonic stuff I see, uh, especially in the United States, tends to be uh, small. You know, it's they're, they're usually small things that are trying to look to take advantage of, of wounds, of pain, of situations that are going on in our lives and trying to exacerbate them to make them worse. Mm-hmm. So do you often see them in a highly anointed, powerful preaching in a good church service, worship is strong and high, and scriptures being read? Does that drive them out as, as we think that it does? Uh, so it certainly does. It certainly does. I mean, I've, I've seen demonic stuff trying to influence people, and you know, just them entering to worship just removes any, you know, for lack of a better term, any place that, that demon would try to land on them. You know, it just removes that. Now, I... I have seen a counter. I actually shared one story in the book where I saw a um, demon that was sitting on a woman's shoulder, and the demon was uh, chained to her. And I, you know, was poking at her and uh, doing all this stuff. And worship started, and it was really, you know, powerful anointed worship. And the demon ran and tried to leave, but it was chained to the woman. And in, in that particular case, it was, at least in my opinion, I'm now, I, again, I go in a little bit more detail in the in the book, but mm-hmm. I knew a little bit of her story and her circumstance. And in that case, it was um, some lies that she was holding on to. You know, even the, the presence of God was trying to bring freedom and bring breakthrough, and it was driving that demonic thing away, but she was holding on to that. Wow. And so I, I have seen it in that example as well. Well, that's very good for instruction to be able to coach her, to minister to her, and help her get rid of it. Certainly. Yeah, I think God would give you this vision, obviously, to help people. That this gift is to be enlightened, and that's what a word of knowledge. If I hear, receive a word of knowledge from the Lord, I know it's meant to help, to build up, to edify. Don't you think that? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. It. Oh, certainly, certainly. I mean, I think the Lord is always. You know, I think that sometimes when people meet me, they've often said, you know, oh, I'm worried that you're going to see this bad thing on me or that bad thing on me. And, you know, I quickly learned, and maybe this isn't a perfect metaphor, but it's one that comes to mind. You know, it's like when you have a an illness or something's hurt and you go to the doctor and you, you're embarrassed or, you know, you're worried about showing to them. But, of course, the reality is, is that that doctor has seen hundreds of problems and one's probably way worse than yours, mm-hmm. you know, and... I think it's that way with the Lord, where He's, you know, it's, our relationship to Him is not one of a boss that we have to impress. You know, this is our Father who chose us when we were at our worst. You know, who who made a way for us to get close to Him when we were at our very worst. And that's good. And so when I see even bad things on people, they're. You know, unless I'm in a completely unhealthy and wrong mindset, it does not bring any judgment whatsoever towards them. It, mm-hmm. if anything, it brings compassion. And it's and if I ever do 
bring up something bad that I see. It's not for the purposes of bringing judgment, condemnation, or anything like that. It's to say that, hey, God has made a way for freedom in this area. Right. So tell us a little bit about, I know the, the, the several thousand people that will listen to this, probably most of them will say, how can I have such a gift? Did you, do you teach that? I know that you do, but how do you begin to tell people how to open their eyes that they might see? Yeah, and so I kind of started out as a basis. As soon as I discovered that what I had was a gift, as soon as I, like I mentioned, was 12 years old and realized that these things that I was saying were the result of a God-given gift. I was immediately convinced. I had no reason. I had no, um, no one told me this, but I was just immediately convinced that it was meant to be available for every Christian. Wow. And, you know, I've, I've had people tell me that they believe that, you know, what I have is just a special gift, just a special thing that God has given just me. And I, on one side, I know that's not, not true because as I've started to speak about this publicly, I've run into dozens and dozens and probably well into the hundreds now of people who had a very similar background and story to me where they saw in the Spirit as children, and Mm -hmm. many still see in the Spirit to this day. And also, I don't think that God releases special anointings on certain people so that we can just have, you know, these super powerful ministers in our midst. I believe whether it's someone who has an amazing, unique prophetic gift, an amazing anointing for releasing healing, or an amazing anointing to see in the Spirit, that these are the Lord showing the entire body what anointing is He's made available to all of us through the Holy Spirit. Um, and so w- with that, I, um, I oftentimes encourage people that, you know, even if you don't see in the Spirit right away, I've noticed, um, I'm, I'm the director of the Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry mm-hmm. uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia, and so we've gone to practice with several students with growing in this gift, and the amazing thing i found is the people that, even if they don't see in the Spirit with their eyes right away, if they will steward, like we talked about earlier, that conversation with the Holy Spirit, sitting there and asking Him, you know, what's going on in this room right now? And again, maybe they don't see with their eyes right away, but they get a picture in their mind's eye. They get a still, small voice that just tells them a little piece of information or a little little message about what they're seeing. As they steward that and protect that and build that conversation and that specific area of relationship with the Holy Spirit, I've found that these students... As they steward that, they have this breakthrough where they start seeing with their eyes as well. And so to to put it simply, I think oftentimes it's as simple as looking and practicing, exercising that part of our mind by communicating to the Holy Spirit about it. Well, might not be so uh, infantile to suggest that maybe they have a relationship with the Lord that's kind of special, that they crave the presence of God, isn't that? An important part of it is to want to be in his presence. Oh, certainly. I mean, this I can tell you, you know, and I, I say this in the book as well, that, you know, nothing that I have seen in the Spirit has nearly has been nearly as valuable, essential, or transformative as what the Holy Spirit has had to say about the things that I see. Mm-hmm. And my my relationship with him is absolutely central to everything that this gift is. It would I without hesitation would say that this gift would be basically useless without that relationship with him. So have you had personal valleys in your walk with the Lord? Have you had places where 
maybe your faith is dwindled a little bit? You know, it's interesting. I, I, people have asked me this question, you know, that, you know, do you even have to deal with faith because you see angels all the time? You see this stuff all the time. And, you know, I think even though my story's different than a lot of people's, I, um, I remember because I, I was born into a Christian family. I was a pastor's kid and a missionary kid growing up. And I remember when I was um, 14 years old, I was getting into junior high school, and I just had a season there where I wouldn't necessarily say that my um, relationship with the Lord truly waned, but I just had this conversation with myself where I said, I've been raised to believe this. I've been raised um, up in this culture. I need to set it down so that I can decide to pick it up for myself. Mm-hmm. That happens to a lot of young people. Sure, Very yeah, common. and it's definitely, and, you know, I, ironically, I was talking with the Holy Spirit the entire time during this process, but mm-hmm. um, I, for me, it wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't stop what I was doing. I didn't change my behavior. You know, I didn't start doing things that I'd been raised to believe were right. unhealthy or inappropriate and things like that just because I was like, I do need to go through this process as far as choosing to believe what I believe. But in the meantime, I'm still going to trust the mothers and fathers in my life that are saying, you know, hey, this kind of behavior and this kind of behavior lead to unhealthiness. Right. Um, and so I, I stayed healthy as far as that was, I'm, you know, grateful to the, to, you know, mainly my parents for being good examples in that regard. Um, but, you know, very shortly after that, I said, no, I, I am choosing this for myself and I am choosing to continue to believe what I was raised to believe. And so, well, I didn't, you know, I think beyond that moment, there's of course, you know, moments where I think in a lot of the normal ways where we get busy, you know, mm-hmm. where we, Get, get distracted by life where we have to start paying the bills or have to start paying more bills. You know, I now have uh, four little kids and so they are, are the, they're the best kind of distraction, but they uh, mm-hmm. also uh, take up a lot of time and energy. And so I think it's less, at least for me, that my connection to the Holy Spirit has truly waned. But as I take on new roles, you know, the roles of husband, the roles of father, the roles of a uh, leader in the church, um, and things like that. I've had to reevaluate. Okay, what does it look like to maintain a healthy connection in this season? So, have you ever and, had a dry season where you just the lights turned off? You didn't see anything. Um, you know, I've I've always, even in uh, yeah, pretty much my entire life, I can't think of an, any kind of extended season where I don't see in the spirit. There, there are times where I don't think about it nearly as often as I, as I do in other times. And mm-hmm. some of that I wouldn't even consider to be a, a the result of a bad thing, you know. Right. Some of it, sometimes, that's just not what the Lord is emphasizing in my life right now, and that's mm-hmm. okay. You know, this isn't central to my identity. Well, you're raising four boys, of, right? Or four children, I know that. Uh, uh, three boys and one girl. So that does take some attention. You could use uh, the angelic host. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's good. How does your wife feel about your gift? What is, what kind of talks do you have about the angels you see in your home? I don't think you see any oh, other yeah, bad we, guys. Yeah, we, we talk about it pretty regularly. You know, we still have a very normal relationship in a lot of ways. And, 
you know, one of the things that I asked the Lord for when I was young and, you know, still hadn't, hadn't found the person I was to marry, I said, you know, hey, I don't want someone who's impressed by this. You know, that was the yeah. only way that I sure. had to phrase it is, you know, I I obviously want someone who accepts this, you know, and understands, you know, this is part of my life. But I I want someone who can, you know, still tell me when I'm being dumb, you know, who can still uh, knows that they have an authority in my life and, and a and a you know value in, in that way. And so, um, so you know, it, it's awesome because a lot of times my wife, you know, she's. I tend to be a reserved person by nature. She's very bold, and so she's always encouraged me to, oh, go tell that person what you saw, or mm-hmm. what do you see around them right now, you know? And so she partners a lot with me in that That's way. Good. So yeah. when you get cranky in the home, and maybe you speak to her in a way that you wish you hadn't, do you get an angel up in your face chatting with you? You know, I've had it once or twice. Um, Isn't that something? I'll tell you, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one story real real quick that's a, uh, it's a, it's one we share relatively regularly, especially uh, my wife and I do a pre-marriage program. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one one particular day uh, we were in a discussion. And it was nothing major, but just trying to figure something out and weren't weren't seeing eye to eye on something. And had this statement come to mind to to say to her, and it wasn't it was nothing horrible, and it was nothing too harsh or anything like that. But it was when it came up, I knew that was. It was not the right thing to say. You know, it wasn't the, the kindest thing to say. And I knew that I ought not say it, but mm-hmm. I thought somewhere that maybe it would feel good if I did. Um, and so. That never happened to any of us, Blake. Uh, uh, certainly not. Certainly not. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, didn't think about it too long and just let the statement fly out of my mouth. And the second that I did um, in the spirit, I just saw this little cut appear on my wife's cheek. It was, it was again it wasn't the biggest thing in the world it was just like if you had taken a little you know a little um mm-hmm. a little steak knife or something and just did a small little cut on the cheek but the second i saw that i you know completely pumped the brakes wow. and just said hey I, i'm sorry i should not have said that and you know she was like oh no it's, it's fine it's fine i said no no i i should not have said that and i'm sorry Good and for you. No, yeah, I. Well, words can cut. And, words hurt people. Oh, certainly. Yeah, that's certainly. good. And now, the the amazing thing was, as I as I w- apologized, I watched, and the the blood that had just you know one little drop that had come down just went mm. back into the cut, and the cut sealed up right there, um, just as I apologized. Wow, I can't think. You know, I was a college professor for thirty years. I can't think of how many young people I might have lacerated in my teaching career. <laughs> I may be glad I didn't see that, but certainly how helpful that would be to let you know the damage that your words are causing. Mm-hmm. Right? Definitely. So oh, just certainly. a couple of more questions. We're, we don't have much time at Blake. I'm just loving talking with you. By the way, you can connect with Blake Healy. He's got a website. You can find him at BlakeKHealy.com. BlakeKHealy.com. He's got lots of goodies there for you. His book is on Amazon, and at some point in the future, his book will be there on his website. But you'll find a lot of uh, good, interesting material if you visit his website. One more time, BlakeKHealy.com. Blake, so this is a great time to ask you uh, the title, Veil. Would you explain that to our listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I ran through a lot of titles as I was um, as I was writing this book, and... 
I knew it was, you know, the book was going to be about my story, and I knew that the, the conclusion that I wanted to come to at the end was that this is something that's meant to be available for everyone. And in the different circles that I was you know, running with throughout the years, I would oftentimes hear this statement that, you know, uh, you know, there's a veil over our eyes, or the veil is thin, or, you know, people talking about the veil. And it was interesting because I kept seeing this moment in Scripture, and it's one of my favorite. You know, if I, there's a lot of great moments in the Bible, but for me personally, this is probably the top. Um, okay. It's the moment where Jesus dies on the cross, and there's a big earthquake. And then over in the temple, there's this um, divider, there's this um, curtain, or some people called it a veil, uh, between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. And the Holy of Holies there was believed to be, that, that was where God's presence rested. And because of sin, because of this separation between God and man that had happened at the fall, that this was not a place that you were allowed to go. You know, this was a place that if you went there, you may even die, mm-hmm. um, because you would be so overwhelmed by mm-hmm. by this. But... There's this beautiful moment where the the moment that Jesus dies, that veil is torn from top to bottom. And to me, there's I mean, there's so much that is in that statement, you know, there's but to me that is one of the moments that gives us permission to pursue gifts like seeing in the spirit. That's so good. Hey, I don't wanna hide who I am from you anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna hide what I do from you anymore. I don't even want to hide why I do what I do from you anymore. I want to be open again, which was, of course, the original plan in the Garden of Eden. But that is, to me, the key statement that we, we can we can all see in the Spirit because God has invited us to. So that's what I wanted yeah. to ask you. Give us the first step. We're going to leave this podcast and go back and say, I want what Blake's got. Isn't that amazing how red-haired people want to be blonde and blondes want to be red-haired? We may have a great gift that God has given us, but we we see these other gifts, and I, I'd love to be able to see the ministering spirits. I'd love to, to have that gift. So what's step one? Step one, real basic, practical, and simple. You know, next time you go to church, next time you go into a worship service, just pick a place to sit down. I, I remember when I first started actively practicing this gift, I started by picking a spot at the back of the room, sitting down, entering worship, and then um, just asking the Holy Spirit, where should I look? Wow. And again, you may feel drawn somewhere, you may not. This is this is something that I would say the important attitude to approach this with is it's not about one magic moment where, you know, the veil is completely lifted and you see all this stuff all at once. You know, even for me, when I was growing in this gift and growing in how to use this gift, it was little bits and pieces at a time that I would see and understand. And so, you know, even if you don't see something with your eyes right away, you know, look for big things with your eyes, but also look for little things, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can just see an outline. Sometimes you can just see a streak of light. And those are the little invitations that God is inviting you into more and inviting you into more. That's so good. And And then the number one thing is, whether you see a lot or you see a little, 
whether you see something with your eyes or he starts speaking to you in your mind's eye or in your heart, just start asking him questions. Why, you know, what is that thing? Why do I feel peace right now? Why do I feel joy right now? Why do I, oh, the, the song just shifted and I just felt the, the way that your presence was here shift. And as we ask the Holy Spirit these questions, even if we don't get, you know, a clear nature documentary sort of answer, um, he will start meeting us there piece by piece, yes. bit by bit, and developing a language of understanding what's going on in the Spirit. During the season that I pastored when I was in Tulsa at ORU, for about 10 years I had a, uh, an elder in my church who was a prophet. She would tell me about the angels that were on a platform with me. She could describe them in detail. They almost always had a sword. And they had different dresses and uh, types of things in their hair. But she could describe in detail what they were doing and as I turned scripture, how they would observe and watch people observe. She got very detailed, and it was, it was so such a steady flow of it that I really believed her, and and I believe that it was a part of my anointing to know that, that I had that. Is that common for you? Do you see them on platform? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I mean, they just about everything we do unto the Lord. I see them there participating, or again, like you said, observing, or um, just uh, partnering with everything that we do. And so they are, they're there all the time, you know, even when we're not paying attention. Well, here's my last question because I know you have to run and we've had a long show, but what a powerful show. And, and, you know, I just praise God for the gift you have and give him the glory. And I know you do. So here's, here's the last question. What would you, um, for all those who are listening, what do you hope they take away? What, what's your real prayer as you do these interviews? Yeah, my number, my number one thing, both in, in writing the book and when I, whenever I speak and I go places, is ultimately I believe that the purpose of every spiritual gift is not just for us to be more effective servants for God, but to become closer sons and daughters. Mm. And so I, I believe that all of these gifts, including seeing in the Spirit, are meant to teach us more about who our Father is, to connect us more personally and more directly to Him. And of course, out of that, transform our minds, transform our hearts, and bless everyone around us. Yes. What a great prayer and a a great purpose for writing and, and being who you are. So I encourage all of you listeners, you've been listening to The Charisma Connection with Blake Healy and his powerful book, The Veil, An Invitation to the Unseen Realm. I'll tell you also that in the February Charisma magazine, uh, we've got another story from him that kind of tells you some of the things that are in the book. It's an excellent story in our magazine. I hope that you'll find that as well. Blake, any last words? Uh, The last thing I would say is just, you know, whether it's pursuing seeing the Spirit, you know, hearing the Holy Spirit more intimately, pursuing healing or anything else, I would just encourage everyone out there to pursue more of what God has because yes. he has a lot for every single one of us. Yes. Pursuing God is a real good lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, Blake, thank you very much. Thank you for this book. Thank you for affecting my life so powerfully with it. And uh, keep writing. Keep hearing the Lord. I will do. You've been listening to the Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Steve Green. God bless you all. Press into God. Thank you.
This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.